1: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and joining me this week is Peter Cohn, the tax and budget editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete.
0: Great to be here, David. Thanks for having
1: me. Glad to have you, and we now have the president's budget for the new year, so we want to talk about that a little and a lot to get to, but let's start with the budget because it was so eagerly awaited for so long. It came a little late, of course, but it's out now, $5.8 trillion for the coming fiscal year shaping up to be a lot like the fight we had last year Pete over defense and non-defense spending levels it seems to me.
0: Yeah, so let's let's just start with that 5.8 trillion figure because you know that these giant numbers get thrown around a lot and I think you know we ought to break, break down what that actually means. So Biden's not actually requesting 5.8 trillion dollars from Congress is he? Right. So I mean what he's doing is he's saying this is how much we think the federal government is going to end up spending in the fiscal year that starts uh, October first. What he's actually asking for from Congress is a sliver of that, and also that five point eight trillion figure includes interest payments on the national debt. So that's something that Congress has no role in whatsoever. That's a that's a factor of well, Congress can affect that by how much you know money it ends up passing laws to increase spending by or, or cut taxes by, but interest payments on the debt are not something that Congress has any control over. So really, you're only talking about a sliver of that budget that's about $1.6 trillion. That's That's the piece that Congress will affect during the appropriations process this year. And there may be some extra emergencies that happen throughout the course of the year, supplemental spending bills for COVID-19 response efforts or the war in Ukraine, things like that. But generally, when you're talking about that $5.8 trillion, it's really only that 1.6 and tra- and change trillion that we're talking about that Congress is going to be dealing with during the appropriations process this year.
1: Right. Which shows how much entitlements like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid really matter. That's the bulk of the budget. But you're right. It's the one point six trillion we're going to focus on because that's what Congress is going to be divvying it up uh, in coming months. And it's that piece of the pie, Pete, that seems like it's going to be another partisan clash, just as we had last year, because Republicans are already up in arms here over Biden's request for defense spending versus non-defense spending. There's a big mismatch yet again.
0: Yeah, defense talks are basically saying that given the the situation we find ourselves in in the global environment, uh, with some very rough neighborhoods and competitors like China who are really beefing up their military spending, and of course Vladimir Putin's adventurism in in Ukraine and elsewhere, that we really ought to have defense spending that's above the rate of of inflation. Actually, they're calling for they want five percent increase above inflation. Now, you know, inflation is where it is today. It's you know. 6%, maybe closer to 5% if you back out food and energy costs, but we're, we're looking at substantial inflation still. We haven't gotten to the point yet where inflation is calming down. As obviously, you see that in, in you know, the gas pump and all the Republican talking points leading up to the midterm elections. But in any case, for defense, it's an issue because the Pentagon can't buy as much stuff as they need. I mean, first of all, they got to pay their people, the military and civilian employees, uh, that costs more money, especially now with inflation. And then the purchasing power is is gone basically. So even with the Biden budget's four percent increase for for the military, their inflation estimates were written back in November, uh, and, and even then there was a question about whether or not two point five percent inflation in fiscal twenty twenty three. Was going to end up being realistic. And today, from where we're sitting, it really doesn't look like it's going to be realistic. You know, I mean, the ex- investors' expectations of inflation for the next five years are north of 3% right now. So we think it'll come down. I mean, you know, most economists agreed inflation will come down in the next few years. But whether it gets down enough, to make a 4% increase for the defense budget acceptable to Republicans, it certainly doesn't appear that way. So it looks like a replay of last year where Biden came out with a 2%, less than 2% increase for defense and a 16% increase for non-defense. This year he's come out with a 4% increase for defense and 14% increase for non-defense when you count all the bells and whistles that don't get included necessarily in in what they call the, the base budget. So anyway, you know, it was a fairly predictable response from the Republicans. But what they've said and, and the Democrats too, the, the, the leadership of the committees, the appropriations committees have said, let's figure this out early this year, this time, instead of waiting until practically five months past the end of the fiscal year to figure out what those numbers are going to be. Let's let's cut to the chase and get that out of the way now, because we know that if the Democrats just move forward with a butt with spending bills. That adhere to those Biden levels the 4% for defense and 14% for non-defense then we're just going to get stuck in another cycle of continuing resolutions and nobody wins in that in that type of situation
1: right although i'm skeptical they'll move much faster than they did last year <laughs> we'll see they they they're saying they want to move quickly but we've heard that before too and it never seems to happen And Republicans are on the offensive, and we had budget hearings this week, Pete, where they wasted no time in attacking this this plan, as as you'd predict they would, but it does seem as though they have extra ammunition now because of the war in Ukraine putting such a focus on the military and defense spending, it gives them even added ammunition with the high inflation to argue that a 4% increase just isn't going to cut it, and they're going to demand a higher level and so that is going to force Democrats into that same bargaining that that they faced last year, which only just got resolved this month in March of this year. You know, more than five months late.
0: Yeah, it's not just Republicans. I mean, you got Democrats from who are going to have a tough time winning re-election this November. Elaine Luria from uh, Virginia. She's a Democrat who's got an extremely tight race coming up. Sure, her district. Even before the the redistricting occurred and the new lines were drawn for Virginia, the Republican governor of Virginia won handily in her district. And now with redistricting, Luria's district is even less friendly to her. It it removes, she's a Navy vet. She represented the Norfolk area. That's where she lives. That's being removed from her district. And so she came out after the budget was released and, and said, had just a blistering series of tweets on this. She just basically laid laid down the law, said, you know, this budget she uses. This is what she said. It sucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it sucks. That's right. what she said. And she went into detail about I mean, she knows the Navy shipbuilding programs and everything else, you know, cold from that being the better part of her career. But it, that's just one symptom of what's going on here, which is um, the Democrats are looking at a potential wave coming at them in the midterms. And this budget is not helping in some quarters. Now, of course, Biden and the Democratic leadership have pressures coming from the other side of their caucus, which is from the left. And you've got progressives who are saying, forget about a 4% increase in in the defense budget. We should have zero or maybe even a cut, a nominal cut from, from the previous year. So I think that's sort of becoming more of a minority within the Democratic caucus. But it's a powerful view. I mean, that's the leadership of the progressive. The Congressional Progressive Caucus, top appropriators on the Democratic side like Barbara Lee, who manages the foreign all the foreign aid accounts, and others on that committee, and Bernie Sanders, of course, in the Senate, who's been calling to cut the defense budget for years. So there's a sharp division within the Democratic caucus on this, and um, you know it's going to be very very difficult for the Democrats to do a budget resolution this year to accommodate all these things. By law, they've got to do a budget, but they Often they just ignore that requirement. There's no real penalty for ignoring doing a budget, but you know Lindsey Graham, the ranking Republican on on the Senate Budget Committee this week, who's a real defense hawk, said, you know, I think we should have a a vote on the Senate floor. We should just vote Biden's budget up or down and see what happens. Right. So the Democrats are they going to take him up on that? Highly doubtful. You know the the whole Rama process to do a budget resolution. You get this unlimited series of votes potentially. In the Senate, it's all a lot of gotcha stuff. But are the Democrats going to take the bait on that? Probably not. But it just goes to show that Biden's budget is just, you know, saying it's dead on arrival is this kind of overused cliche around D.C., but it's got to go through some, some significant changes to ultimately land up on his desk.
1: Yeah, big battle ahead. And we should also talk about the tax piece of this of this budget, Pete, because he did propose this new new idea of this 20% minimum tax on multimillionaires. Is that gonna fly? Is that is that gonna go anywhere?
0: If you look at what's what's happening, so they had everybody remembers Build Back Better, right? That was the big, the, you know, the big set of signature policy initiatives of the initial, uh, uh, you know, Biden's first budget. Of course, we got the infrastructure piece done, that had bipartisan support. But then the Build Back Better part of it, which was a lot of climate change uh, expansions of of um, programs to help lower income households, child tax credit, things like that. All of that obviously crashed and burned when you got to the Senate, and you have these moderates who. Are facing voters back home in a very, an extremely different environment than say Bernie Sanders is in Vermont. You've got Kirsten Cinema in Arizona, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. You know Arizona obviously very narrowly went to Biden in 2020. That's a state that hadn't gone, that hadn't voted for a Democrat in very long, very long time. I mean Cinema was when she got elected in 2018, I think was the first Democrat to win a Senate seat in something like 30 years. So Arizona is just very, very gradually kind of moving to the center. And West Virginia, forget about it. I mean, Trump won by 40 points twice, practically. So you know these tax policies, Sinema basically said, I'm not going to go along with any tax rate increases. She accepted some tax changes at the very top of the income scale. These surcharges on people making more than you know ten million dollars, and things like that, but you know broad based rate increases. Now you know, and this billionaires' tax is well, I mean they're calling it a billionaires' minimum income tax, but it really affects households with more than hundred million in income. Last year, Manchin basically said he thinks everybody ought to pay their fair share of taxes, and he wants to raise those tax rates as well. But he wasn't a fan of going after a select group of of very wealthy, very very well-off individuals. And more recently, he said, because this new plan, it goes after those illiquid assets, or in some cases, liquid assets that very, very wealthy people have, like stocks that have big gains on paper, but haven't been sold yet. I mean, we've never, in this country, we've never taxed unsold assets like that. It, It just... In very, very limited ways, we've we've gone after that kind of, of uh, those kinds of assets. So it's really hard to see how that passes in this environment where they're still struggling just to get the build back better piece of this off the ground. There may be a compromise there that could include many of the tax provisions that passed through the House last year. And, you know, because cinema signed off on those. So you can do that stuff. But to go further now and go at and and do these more, you know, some of these new sweeping things that Biden just proposed, it's going to be extremely difficult to get that done.
1: It would seem unlikely. And that new tax seems does seem extremely complicated to try to administer. There's already been warnings to that effect from some tax analysts. And the, the other notable thing, I think, about this budget, Pete, was, was the change in tone here. You can tell it's an election year and Biden's trying to moderate himself Uh, with swing voters, because after last year's budget, with all the emphasis on Build Back Better, we did see a remarkable focus in this new budget on deficit reduction. The Biden administration went to to great lengths to say how much they're cutting the deficit because all this pandemic spending is coming to an end, and that they're promising a trillion dollars worth of deficit savings over the coming decade. Of course, that billionaire's tax we just talked about was a key part of making that happen. And that may not get implemented. So there's a lot of problems with that. But you did see a real change in focus here and a desire to sort of hew toward the middle now as, as Democrats face what's going to be a really rocky midterm election.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of buyer's remorse over what in the Democratic Party about what they bought last year. Now, in you know, in a sense, they're campaigning on, on a lot of these things on the infrastructure law that, that it passed, which was not actually hugely expensive in the long term because a lot of that was was offset. But the you know the, the relief package they passed early on that there's an argument to be made that you know that really did get the economy out of a deep COVID nineteen recession. But there's a lot of evidence that it really did stoke the inflation that we're seeing right now. I mean, fourteen hundred dollar checks. On top of previous rounds of checks and various other benefits, I mean, let's not forget that the only reason they did $1,400 checks last March was because Donald Trump, around Christmas 2020, came out and said that's what he wanted. Yeah. (laughs) So the Democrats immediately thought, well, gee, we've we've got these uh, special elections coming up in Georgia in January of 2021 that's going to decide the Senate we better match this or uh, we're going to, you know, we, those seats in Georgia might be in trouble. So they ended up doing that. And I think, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not an economist. I'm not going to sit here and say that those voices are 100% correct, but I think there's at least an anecdotal argument to be made that showering the American people with that much money had something to do with stoking the, the demand. For goods and services that we're seeing today, that's driven inflation
1: up to forty-year highs. Which Larry Summers did warn about. The former Clinton Treasury Secretary, a Democrat, did warn yeah. them about early on that he that he felt that that relief package was a little too much and was going to stoke inflation. We
0: there's a there's a counterargument to be made that the Build Back Better stuff is not necessarily going to stoke the kind of inflation that we've had in the past. But still, it's more spending. Child tax credit is monthly checks to people. You know, there are a lot of other things that don't get started for many years and that you know' not going it's not going put immediately put money more money in consumers' pockets. But it's the sense that if you're blowing out the deficit, the treasury is going to have to issue more debt and you know you're going to need more dollars to purchase that debt. The dollar ends up being devalued and we end up in this cycle of this inflationary cycle that goes on for decades now. You know, we were issuing a lot of debt before and it didn't happen. You know, Japan issued far more debt than we've ever issued, and inflation didn't really get going in Japan for all this time pre pandemic. So, you know, this is a real argument that's been going on for a long time now. But I think the numbers right now are irrefutable that the inflation is such that expanding the government's balance sheet more at this point is just the wrong way to go. And so there's a sense that's in the Democratic Party, even now, that we ought to do all we can to avoid having to bail out consumers any further. By spending more money that we really by going deeper into debt, what we need to do is attack the root causes of the inflation rather than you know and get prices down that way for consumers rather than just showering more cash out there.
1: Right, and which is why I think the White House was has been stressing that any Build Back Better initiative now would have to be deficit neutral in their budget.
0: Yeah, it's why you know with gas prices, for instance, it's why, you know it, it's sort of a, a divergence here. I mean, they still may end up trying to do something like this, but they're talking about you know sending a new round of checks out to people to offset the higher gas prices that we that we've seen. You know, and as I think the the Biden administration would is thinking, well, all right. We might consider that. But in the meantime, we're going to go out and release a million barrels of oil a day from the strategic petroleum reserve and try to lower prices that way. That's something we can do without sending out another several hundred billion dollars worth of checks right. to people. You know, so I think the administration recognizes and centrist Democrats recognize that let's guys, let's try to do this another way than just spending another more hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Now you know there's talk about we can we can do consumer rebates and pay for it by taxing the oil
1: companies to pay for it. But you know we know that's not going to get through the Senate because it's not going to get 60 votes. And Pete, we don't have much time left here, but speaking of spending a lot more money, we should note that that Congress is now trying to negotiate a new pandemic aid package uh, for vaccines, therapeutics testing that they say is sorely needed. But they're having a tough time hashing out this deal with Republicans. It sounds like they're making progress. They're determined to make to offset all of this new spending with some savings. Does it look like it's shaping up to you? It's,
0: that's certainly the way it, it
1: appeared yesterday. It looks like
0: they're pretty close to do ten billion. You know, maybe the, the the global vaccination funds get whittled down to something much cl- closer to you know a billion than the five billion uh, the White House wanted. It's going to be. Looks like it's going to be less than half of what they want. Look at some, you know, it'll, there'll be some groaning about it in the House, but it's got to get done before the recess at the end of, of next week. And so, you know, we'll see. But it, I think the political pressure is pretty immense. I think even the Republicans generally want to do something, but, you know, they want to make sure it's offset with these unspent funds. And, you know, let's not forget there was a deal a couple of weeks ago, 15.6 billion. I mean, that was basically locked in until they figured out that this, $7 billion for these states that uh, have not yet received their second tranche of aid under the last year's relief package because they had lower unemployment rates. So they weren't kind of first in line for the money, but they were going to carve that money, money out. And so I think there's a lot of um, surprise and consternation that that piece of it didn't get done. So as a result, we're talking about $10 billion versus you know almost
1: $16 billion. And the White House wanted $22.5 billion, we should say. So this is... This is less than half of what the White House is requesting. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a combination of Republicans who
0: say, all right, we've got a lot of unspent funds that are, that are out there. And they, in fact, had a deal on that. And then there are some Democrats who said, well, we don't like taking away that particular, this little particular slice of the unspent funds. So that's why they're in the pickle they're in. And, uh, you know, with every passing day, it gets more difficult because somebody will write a story that says, well, so and so spent pandemic relief money on X, which doesn't look like it was for pandemic relief. It looks like it was for something that maybe they shouldn't have spent the money on. So like, you know, every day we we go with without having this bill passed, it kind of gets harder. But you know, it certainly seems like there's the political will to do something. It may just be less than half of what the White House wanted initially. And maybe the White House can move some money around. They can use some emergency authorities, Defense Production Act, things like that to get some more additional money out there that Congress doesn't end up appropriating. And then, of course, there's, you know, there'll be other opportunities, other legislation that comes up down the road where they might be able to, to fill in some gaps.
1: So we'll see if they get that done next week before their April break. And we will follow it all for you. But that's all the time we have for now. Thank you all again for listening. And we'll be back next week.